The school year is coming to an end, but this week was just the beginning of a new era for the Indiana State Board of Education. Half the board has been replaced following months of disagreement and conflict with State Superintendent Glenda Ritz, and that restructured group met for the first time this week. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, and today on Noon Edition, we'll speak with education policy experts from around the state about that first meeting and about how Glenda Ritz's run for governor will play into the group dynamic. We invite you to join the conversation after this hour's news. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times. And this week marks a new era for the State Board of Education. Half of the board has been replaced following months of disagreements and conflict with State Superintendent Glenda Ritz. Besides that, Ritz announced Thursday she's going to be running for governor in 2016. So we'll be speaking about uh, these issues with education policy experts from around the state today on Noon Edition. We have three guests with us in the studio. Steve Hennefeld is here. Steve uh, covered public education, higher education, and the State House for the Herald Times for many years. He was my colleague, and he currently writes a blog about education. Mark Lauder is Director of External Relations for the Indiana State Board of Education. And Claire McInerney is here. Claire, as a reporter for State Impact Indiana, covers education for WFIU and WTIU. You can join the discussion by calling 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. And you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. So thank you to all three of you. Claire, of course, you've been here many times before, and Steve's been on the show before. Mark, glad to have you here with thank us. You for having so me. Mark, you just started in your uh, in your new role. I have. I've been with the state board, board for about three months now. About three and months. And I've seen a, a lot of change in those last three months, but I think things are going in the right direction, in a very good direction. All right. And we'll talk, we'll talk about that, but I'm going to let uh, Claire and Steve sort of talk about what this last year has been like for the state board. They've both been observing it. Claire, why don't we start with you? I mean, you've seen a, a lot of, it's been a, a pretty interesting beat to be covering. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely with the state board as well. Um, Obviously, things that have gotten in the news that I've written about and other people were conflicts and disagreements on the board. Um, you know, and one thing I do think is important to note in that context is this state board, uh, chaired by State Superintendent Glenda Ritz, came you know came together under her leadership at a time when a lot was also changing in the world of education. So we had adopted the Common Core and then decided to leave it. We're revamping um, the A through F accountability system. Um, the charter school scene had just like completely changed, and so um, I, I do think it's a little unfair to put all the blame on the, uh, disagreements because there was also a lot of disagreements in terms of important policy issues, but. On the other hand, there were um, 
you know, State Superintendent Glenda Ritz walked out of a meeting, there was a lawsuit, there was a lot of nitpicking from board members um, that was kind of painful to sit and watch as, as a reporter. So um, we kind of had all of that going on over the last year. Well, I don't know which one of you wants to, to answer this, but I'll, I'll just ask all three of you because Claire brought up the fact that, you know, we were in Common Core and then we got out of it. You know, who's we? I mean, there's several levels of, um, you know, of, of authority when it comes to education in the state of Indiana. So, um, Steve, I know I was going to ask you about that other question first. I don't know if you want to try to tackle that or just any of you can kind of who are all the players when it comes to education policy in the state? I think one of the awkward things and one of the difficult things is that there's um, a certain amount of um, uncertainty about uh, the exact role of the state superintendent and the Department of Education vis-a-vis the State Board of Education. Um, you know, the simple answer is that the board sets policy and that the uh, uh, superintendent administers the department and the department carries out policy or administers laws and, and rules and policies and so on. But uh, in fact, it's not that simple. And, and if you look at the statute, there seem to be a lot of sort of crossed lines in terms of, of um, who makes certain decisions, who uh, uh, is responsible for doing certain things on a day-to-day basis, which has uh, resulted in a situation of the board uh, uh, acquiring staff and doing more things than it used to do. And a part, part of that, of course, is a result of the board and, and the superintendent not being on the same page, the board uh, being, except for the superintendent, uh, being made up of members of, of uh, who are appointed by governors of the opposite political party. So um, it, it's not a simple situation. It's not a simple clear-cut thing. There have been some uh, issues and some matters that they've managed to work together on. Uh, seem to have managed to agree on, and the superintendent and the governor have even agreed on certain things in terms of uh, setting new standards, I would say, and, and, uh, um, you know, moving beyond the common core, I guess. But um, but it's it's pretty complicated, and I think that's one of the things that's added to the probably to the conflict. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, uh, you know, you have a unique perspective as the external relations director of external relations for the Indiana State Board of Education. So I guess I have, I'm going to ask you kind of a simple question. I hope. I mean, so who's your boss from the state board perspective? Well, I work for the executive director of the of the state board of education, who is who responds directly to the board of education uh, itself. Um, you know, and, and I, I'd like to pair it off of you know, something that Steve and I think Claire both have kind of hinted around. And one of the things that I have seen in the three short months that I have been there, and I think it's tr- I think it's probably typical to every legislative or policy making body at almost every level of government. What you see reported, and this is not this is not a blaming of the media, is not necessarily what you know. Ninety-five percent of what the state board does, or the general assembly, or the city county council, or whatever does, is usually unanimous or near unanimous. And we focus on those areas where they, where it may not be, but it's also a very small percentage of the overall work. And, and I think. You know, I, I would point out not this past meeting where every vote was unanimous, although the agenda was very light. Um, even the last board meeting of the previous board, I think we took nine votes. Uh, six of the nine were unanimous, and the superintendent was in the majority on all nine votes. So there wasn't, even though there were some debates, there was some discussion. When it came down to the actual business of, of, of voting and of taking action, they were acting in pretty close harmony on all of those decisions, maybe for different reasons, but you know, still. So the, the amount of disagreement is, is there. There are policy differences, but for the most part, most of it is, uh, I would say, 
overwhelmingly supportive of, of one side or the other. Mm-hmm. So, I, I will say as someone who uh, had been at every board meeting for the last year, as soon as Senate Bill 1 came about, the attitudes definitely changed. It seemed to get a little more civil. And I think maybe that was just people are noticing, you know, because it, it is we're covering a policy board. It's not the most interesting thing. And so people did pay attention when we had these kind of blow-ups. And Senate Bill 1, I think, really reminded everybody that you are representing people um, and voters, and we can change things if you aren't doing that. Mm -hmm. So explain what Senate Bill 1 is. It initially came through as a way to remove State Superintendent Glenda Ritz as the chair of the board. She would have stayed on. And as the legislation moved through the state house, it um, completely changed and became what allowed us to revamp the board right now. So it allowed for the governor and then the um, Senate president pro tem and House Speaker to each have an appointment. Um, and that is what, what got us here. Right. Now, the governor has eight appointments, correct? Yes. And the other two have one yes. each. So he still controls the board, even though he had all 10 appointments before. But right? the governor changed many of his appointments. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have had to have done that. He could have reappointed uh, mm-hmm. the people who were governor, uh, gubernatorial appointees, and he made several new appointments. Um, just, you know, from my perspective as an outsider who has not attended a single state board meeting uh, since I left the HT uh, eight years ago, um, it I think one of the things that you expect there to be uh, policy disagreements, you expect between uh, people who have really fundamentally different views about how public education should operate, that there will be debates and disagreements. I think the thing that people tended to focus on was sort of the chemistry and um, the the sort of the real sense of tension in the room. And I, I watched a little bit of some of the board meetings on video and you could kind of pick up on this in people's tone of voice, people's body language, and and that sort of thing. Um, And um, so I think that was what what maybe, arguably, even kind of made this seem to be more of a conflict than than you might have otherwise expected. And uh, and I would see, even though it was a very light agenda this week, uh, that sort of of, um, um, conflict uh, that sort of unwritten conflict, un- unspoken conflict, seemed to, there seemed to be less of it. So maybe with the new personnel, there was an opportunity to uh, move in a different direction, as Mark suggested, although uh, there might be reasons to think that might not happen. You know, and I think um, something I heard a lot when I was out reporting and talking to families and educators, um, you know, a lot of the disagreements um, maybe six months ago, more than, more than that, at board meetings were you know, who procedure, like how, who's going to email me this and why didn't you do that? And who's going to do this and put this thing forward? And we would spend so much time at these meetings trying to figure that stuff out that I would go to schools and they'd be like, we have to create a new I-step. We have to get new standards. And this is what they're spending their time on. And so, you know, I think that now that that kind of stuff is also kind of, you know, put to bed, we might not have to deal with that anymore and focus just on the policy issues. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we saw this week. Mm-hmm. And I know you did a story on this earlier this week, and I think you made some of those some of those points in that story. Mm-hmm. And I'd recommend readers, <laughs> viewers, listeners, whatever, go to your website and check that story out. It'll give you more background on this. All right, our phone numbers are 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 from the rest of the state. Or you can join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter 
at Noon Edition. So the the uh, you, know, you talk about the the fact that, that a lot of the conflicts or, or maybe the conflicts weren't quite as bad. They got they did get kind of personal, but it's you know if you go back to the background of this whole thing, the personalities involved. I mean, you have Glenda Ritz who basically came out of nowhere to beat Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett was the Republican guy in. To, to be running uh, education in the state. Mark, I don't know how comfortable you feel talking about this, but wasn't there this conflict inevitable, Steve? Claire, I, I would say, and obviously I've been, even though I've only been with the State Board of Education for the last few months, I've been around for you know more than a decade and you in, in for, public service yeah, in you various for, levels. you Mayor Ballard most recently. Right. right. Mm-hmm. The one thing I would tell you is I, don't, I, don't, I think it's too easy mm-hmm. to say this was strictly a partisan issue because uh, the superintendent, superintendent Ritz beat Superintendent Bennett or vice versa. Because if you go back, and I'm talking decades, and Steve, you're probably a better historian on this than I would be. We've had we've had decades where we have had superintendents of opposite political parties, or when the control of the General Assembly was flipping back and forth, or at least one chamber of the was flipping back and forth. And we never really had this kind of discord because through all of that, you had uh, leadership at the superintendent, maybe the, the legislative and even the executive level, marching in the same general direction of where we were going to go, whether that was with Dr. Sue Ellen Reed uh, under Democratic governors and a Republican governor, and probably going back even further than that. I think, and I think you might have touched on this a little bit, this is really the first time, at least in my recent history, that I can think of where we had necessarily truly conflicting policy directions. Um, which I think maybe led to a lot of the uh, of that. Just to say it was political, I think, is probably too easy. Because mm-hmm. there's members of the state board that are Democrats right. that do not right. get along with Superintendent Renton publicly say so. So mm-hmm. it's definitely not a partisan thing. Right. Well, let's talk about some of those some of those policy issues that really became conflicts. I mean, what were what were some of those? Steve. Yeah, you Steve. Why don't you start? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well. Um, you know, for people who, who haven't followed the recent history, uh, 2011 was the big year of educational change after Tony Bennett um, um, had been in office for a couple of years and Mitch Daniels had been in office for in his second term. And, and that was the year that the legislature uh, adopted a state voucher system, uh, greatly expanded charter schools and uh, greatly expanded uh, school accountability and teacher um accountability, teacher evaluation requirements and that sort of thing. So that really, and that was part of a, you know, a national trend. Certainly other states have done this, had done done the same thing. Florida was the state that Indiana was following uh, under Jeb Bush. Um, But uh, it was a real pretty dramatic change. Indiana tends to be a conservative state. Uh, People, uh, Republicans and Democrats alike tend to not uh, be comfortable with a lot of uh, uh, dramatic change, and, and that was a lot of dramatic change all at once. Uh, teachers certainly perceived that they were being uh, targeted and beaten up on and, and judged as being bad uh, people, uh, bad professionals, uh, so it became very emotional. Um, and so I think that was a big part of it. And then, uh, you know, what we've seen since then has been, to a certain extent, uh, disagreements about carrying out those policies, implementing those policies, uh, pushing back with the legislature, pushing forward with the legislature, uh, trying to uh, uh, sort of make things work better or make things more uh, clear and that sort of thing. So, um, so I think that's those are kind of the basic, the big, uh, the 
the big philosophical disagreement between uh, those who favor a uh, um, system of public education and public schools and those who are looking for ways to uh, do something different through competition and uh, parent choice mm-hmm. and, and uh, more testing and more data and so on. And, you know, going back to the whole the issue of, of politics, I mean, I, I certainly agree. It's too easy to just say this is a partisan issue, but it became, in, in my mind, and again, tell me if you think I'm wrong, but, but because Glenda Ritz came in and beat the guy who was moving things in this direction or perceived to be the man who was moving things in this political direction, that helped drive this as a political issue. I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit here and say that one thing that I've heard, um, you know, uh, not that I'm an authoritative source on this, was the fact that uh, after Tony Bennett lost, uh, his emails uh, were FOIA'd and um, became public, and uh, there were stories that came out about him changing the grade of, of a charter school, started by a political uh, supporter. Uh, even more so having his staff work on his campaign. Pretty, pretty serious stuff uh, that, of course, tarnished his image as a up-and-coming school reformer, caused him to lose his job as commissioner of education in the state of Florida. Um, And people have kind of fought back and forth over that. And I think there was certainly some people who felt like uh, Glenda Ritz's department, her supporters, people in within the department, at least were responsible for that taking place. And uh, that kind of raised the stakes a little bit in terms of of, uh, the sort of political back and forth, I think. Mm -hmm. All right. (laughs) Our phone numbers numbers again are 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So going forward, the makeup of the board now, there were, there were a pretty much all, well, half the board changed, um, and the first meeting was this week. So what are the differences in the board now versus the board before? Can you point to things that will well, be different, Claire? The five people who were removed, I think, is probably, or not reappointed, is the most significant. Um, I don't know why the governor made the appointments he did, obviously, but um, you know, with Dan Elsner and Brad Oliver gone, they were very, very good at getting under Superintendent Rizzo's And it was very obvious during meetings. Um, I think having that uh, removed from the rooms will create a difference. Um, but the new appointments, which aren't just Governor Pence's, um, House Speaker Brian Bosma and Senate President Pro Tem David Long made two as well, um, brought in a lot of educators or former educators. Um, there's, compared to the old board, there are more people who have worked in schools or in school districts um, and less people who are community members or work in you know, the private sector or something like that. Um, so that, I mean, I think that's a significant change. Um, I don't know. Well, I don't know if it'll make a difference, but it's just, you know, yeah, on paper I mean, the one it looks thing, different. The one thing I would say is first is that uh, Dan Elsner, who is the president of Marion University, so it's not he's not a, he's it's not that he's foreign to education. Uh, he did ask to not be uh, reappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, he and Andrea Neal both uh, voluntarily said, you know, I think that they're that they'd ask that their service not be continued. Dan had served for a long time. He had served for a very long time. I think he was originally appointed under Governor Daniels. 
uh, if I recall. Ten years, I believe. Yes. Um, And and so everyone that that no longer stayed with the board, with the exception of Tony Walker, uh, did have an education and background, either in the primary, secondary, or K through 12. Yeah. Um, And so... I think you see a different dynamic just in the people who, who are joining the board. It's, it's not necessarily, I'm going to say, right, wrong, you know, obviously, you know, history and, and others can judge that. But I think when you look at the new members uh, of all appointees with Dr. Steve Yeager, uh, you know, who spent, you know, two decades as a superintendent up in uh, the Fort Wayne area and uh, Vince Bertram, who was a uh, doctor, Vince Bertram, who was a superintendent down in Evansville, a principal in Lafayette and now leads a national uh, organization that's focused on STEM uh, education. I mean, th- those kinds of additions are just great. Not to disrespect, obviously, Eddie Melton, who's a community, or, uh, you know, he's very involved in the community uh, and also uh, closely connected to helping mentoring, especially young black males. He comes from uh, Northwest Indiana. And then Byron Ernest, former teacher of the year, uh, who's also now in the online and uh, charter school areas, but has experience, obviously, in public, traditional public K-12 education as well. So it's a very diverse group that's joining, a, uh, you know, a very diverse group. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you only left one person out of the new ones. That was Leanne. Kwiatkowski. Kwiatkowski, oh. yeah. She, and she, um, <laughs> she worked in schools in Indianapolis and then also worked for the Department of Education under um, Tony Bennett. Mm-hmm. So she, but also under Sue Ellen Reed, I think and, I think she preceded Tony Bennett. She was someone who stayed did. on mm-hmm. with the with the department mm-hmm. staff. Mm-hmm. Now, of those five new appointees, um, who was the House appointee? Yeah. As, uh, Byron Ernest. Byron, Byron Ernest was uh-huh. uh, the House speakers, and then uh, Steve Yeager Steve was appointed was, by David Long. Okay, all right. So, how much difference do you think it's going to make now that there are there there are more than just the, gov- the uh, governor's appointees? I mean, he still does have major control over the board. I don't know. I, I, I think in terms of relations with each other, yeah. we could see that improving <clears throat> just because five new people who were not part of. Um, and like I said, a lot of the times the arguments, the arguments over policy were very civil. It was the, the other stuff that it kind of got out of hand. The process. Though. Yeah, the process and things like that. So um and we've tackled a lot of huge we they have tackled a lot of huge things in the last year and a half that are kind of done now and we need to maintain um but i think with these appointments a lot of them have very specific experience which i think will be really helpful going forward leanne kwiatkowski and um i think she and byron Ernest are really um have been very involved in failing schools and that's something that they are the state board is going to continuously be working with they have um, Byron led a few schools and got them out of the F range, and then Leanne worked for the Department of Education, um, visiting with schools that were failing and figuring out how to um, turn them around. So I think that's really important experience to know how to you know help those failing schools because that's a big issue they're going to deal with in the next year. Um, and then just a lot of um, experience outside of schools as well. I thought you were Steve, you look like you want to say something. But. <laughs> no, I bit my tongue. Sorry. Okay, all right. Well, I'm gonna. I have another. I have a follow-up question to that. Though. So, before we, you know, we're about at our break time. But before we move to the break, I, I wanted to talk about sort of how how Senate Bill One moved through the process because the way it ended up wasn't the way it began. I mean, it began with a with a wider variety of people making appointments to the board. I believe it also began with with uh, Glenda Ritz being removed from office, essentially, and now she'll be able to 
fill out her term. Well, so not necessarily should. removed from office. I well, think there's right, a big exactly. misconception. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, I misspoke. I'm right, sorry yeah. about that. And not but, even automatically removed as chair. It just made it the original bill and what will currently take place in 2017 and beyond is that the superintendent is not the automatic chair. Yeah. The board could elect the superintendent to be the chair or remain as the chair, however right. the case may be. Yeah. It just doesn't guarantee it. Yeah, I apologize for that mistake. And I was told by board members that they might have if they, I, I laughed earlier because I yeah. had a stack of papers of mm-hmm. every version of Senate Bill One and that I just recycled at the end of the session, but because it changed so much. But um, where was I going with that? So, <laughs> well, we were just talking about how it changed and the various people were, oh, you know, right. So, it, the legislators were kind of putting the state board in an, an awkward position by having them elect their own chair, and I was told by board members that some of them were considering just voting for her again to avoid mm-hmm. doing that. So I think maybe, and you know, obviously a lot of voters spoke out against the bill saying, we voted for her to serve in that role. Why would you remove her in the middle of the term? So the bill definitely took a different turn. Mm-hmm. As I'd the say there was on. definitely a lot of citizen lobbying of legislators, <laughs> a lot of letters being written, a lot of uh, social media activism taking place around Senate Bill 1 in particular. It was kind of the big uh, education target this year with the session. Uh, not necessarily the most significant bill, um, you might think, but but uh, but it, there was definitely a lot of uh, engaged citizenry around that bill. I think the legislature tends to listen to that uh, to a certain extent. Sometimes it may seem like they don't, but I think they they look for opportunities to uh, try to do things that that uh, particularly their own constituents, but also people around the state suggest that they should do. One thing I wondered about this, and it kind of just occurred to me to wonder, is is uh, the recent appointees, do they serve for a set period of time, a set term? So if there's a new governor in 2017, that person will not come in and immediately be able to appoint new members to the board? I don't have the dates in front of me of when everyone serves, but it's different. They're staggered terms, right? Yes. Right, and they so restagger, and okay. the legislation re-staggers those terms, okay. so there will be a between now so and there I will be a series of appointees 18. that, if there were to be a new governor, that the new governor would be making new making appointments over a series of time. Yes. All right. Well, we're going to have to take a short break. Uh, we'll talk about a lot of policy issues coming back. We'll talk about uh, Glenda Ritz's announcement this week that she's going to be running for governor and um, whatever else you guys want to talk about. So we're, you're listening to Noon Edition. We're talking about the uh, Indiana Board of Education and uh, a lot of things that are going on in education in the state. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org.
Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times. And today we're talking about uh, issues involving the Indiana State Board of Education. Half the board has been replaced following months of disagreement and conflict with State Superintendent Glenda Ritz. And uh, besides that, uh, Superintendent Ritz announced Thursday she's going to be running for governor in 2016. So we have a lot to talk about with our three guests, Steve Hennefeld, who covered public education, higher education in the State House for the Herald Times as a colleague of mine, and he currently writes a blog about education. Mark Lauder is the Director of External Relations for the Indiana State Board of Education. Mark came down from Indianapolis today. And Claire McInerney, who just had to walk across the hall, she is the reporter for the State, State Impact Indiana, who covers education for WFIU and WTIU. If you have questions or comments, please give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. Or you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Let's uh, jump right in to the the idea of uh, Glenda Ritz running for governor and what that's going to mean and, and uh, you know, all three of you. Mark, I, you know, again, I don't know which ones of these. You seem to be comfortable answering any of these, but, <laughs> but you know, you have a different role than these two observers. Um, you know, she's going to – she's announced she's going to be running for governor and she'll still be in her role as uh, superintendent of public instruction. And, in fact, she doesn't have to – if she runs for governor and doesn't win the primary, she'll still be in that role. So what's that going to mean for, you know, education policy as we go on the next six months or so? I mean, that, that was her reason for running, she said. And she uh, – I was at a press conference right when the session ended and where she told us that because of what had happened during the session and mainly Senate Bill 1 um, – she felt that she could do a better job than Governor Pence. And so that that was her reasoning for jumping in. Um, there's a lot being said about whether she would make a good governor um, and with just an education background because she was a she was a school librarian before she ran um, for office. So um, but that is why some people want to vote for her, because she is more in touch with people um, and isn't a career politician. So there's a lot being said right now. But, you know, she has run for statewide office. Um, the, the campaign will definitely be different, but um, she just needs to appeal to people on wider issues. So I think we just need to wait and see where she takes stands outside of the world of education. Mm-hmm. And she does have two other – there are two other announced candidates for governor on the Democratic side. Uh, Steve, you know both of them. Uh, John Gregg is the former Speaker of the House from uh, the uh, Vincennes area. Actually, not from Vincennes. Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. It'll come to us while you drive. Yeah, in his last campaign, he made a big deal with the small town he was from. Uh, um, And uh, Karen Senator uh, Karen Talion from Northwestern Indiana, Democratic senator, Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you know, very different. Uh, different voices with different types of experience in state government. And John Gregg was the candidate in uh, 2012 and, and ran a fairly close race to Mike Pence uh, in three-way race, also with Rupert Bonham in the, in the race as a libertarian. Um, um, after, I would say, getting kind of a slow start as a candidate, Gregg picked up and was probably closing at the end, um, had reason to think that he could maybe run stronger and in 2016. So interesting primary shaping up on the Democratic side, assuming uh, all three candidates stay in and others may jump in. Scott Pilath, the uh, mm-hmm. uh, Senate minority leader, I believe, uh, announced recently that he would not run after considering running. Um, 
so very different candidates with different uh, strengths and different constituencies and different organized constituencies um, who would uh, will apparently be running against each other in the Democratic primary, assuming mm-hmm. they assuming they all all stay in. Well, oh, go ahead, Claire. I was just going to say, the interesting thing is, and I just wrote a story about this this morning, is her campaign in 2012 that beat Tony Bennett was very notable because she raised little money, and it was more of a grassroots thing. Um, and so we'll see if that translates to a gubernatorial run um, because she really rallied teachers and she really rallied families. And because of social media, um, really got the message out there. So um, she's, you know, very popular among those groups. So we'll see if um, I was talking to some parents this morning about that who were saying, um, based, you know, based on personality, that this is one of the quotes I got was based on personality, I would vote for her. Um, but I need to see where she stands on other issues. So I think over the next few weeks, we'll really see how she can go toe to toe with John Gregg, um, I think is probably going to be her biggest, um, you know, competitor mm-hmm. in this primary. But well, he certainly has the name recognition. Well, mm-hmm. from a from a standpoint of getting back to the whole issue of education, it would seem to me, and you know, I guess I would ask if you all would agree to, that having her in the race for governor will elevate the the issue of public education higher than it might have been otherwise. Well, education is very, very important right now because, I mean, like 50 to 60 percent of the state budget is allocated toward education. Um, So it's not some small issue that she's coming in with. But I think to look at jobs and the economy and things like that are going to be important. But um, she's already tying it all back to education. You know, Mm -hmm. we can't create a strong workforce unless our schools are good. We can't prepare people for life after K through 12 or college mm-hmm. without good schools. So I think she's going to, and Rachel and I have been talking with um, the director, Andy Andy Downs, at the Mike Downs Center for Politics a lot. Um, and that's something he's been saying is she, her strategy is most likely going to be doing that, tying everything back to education. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, Rachel Borello, who's your partner with State Impact Indiana. Yes, one, yeah. one thing that strikes me as potentially interesting is, is that uh, um, this will be an opportunity to see what happens when you have this sort of new type of campaign that's built around grassroots organizing and social media uh, playing out in a primary as opposed to playing out in a general election um, where, where you know there, there are a little bit different rules and guidelines in terms of uh, 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 how much contact there, physical contact you want to have. You know, it's, it's a, uh, there are certain kind of... Uh, you know, the, what was it, the Reagan uh, 11th commandment that you don't speak ill of a, a fellow Republican, uh, you know, that's never been an issue for Democrats so much, but but to what extent you speak ill of people, um, I think we'll see a lot of, of kind of back and forth on social media uh, among supporters of Ritz and uh, probably supporters of Greg and Talion as well, um, that that people might not be uh, going out and doing publicly because they don't want to uh, create a backlash against uh, the candidates wouldn't want to create a backlash by offending if supporters of, of the other people. But but you, you really don't restrain stuff on social media. It's pretty wide open. And so I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. All right. That was Steve Hennefeld, who is a blogger and about education and former education and state house reporter. Uh, we're also joined today by Mark Lauder, Director of External Relations for the Indiana State Board of Education, and Claire McInerney, uh, the State Impact Indiana reporter who covers education for WFIU and WTIU and uh, National Public Radio. Um, I have a question that's come in by, um, I guess, through our website. And, and Mark, I'm going to ask it to you first. It's, a, it's from a, a longtime teacher in an area school who didn't want to go on the air but, but asks, 
about being her 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 concerns about testing and teacher working conditions, i.e., fewer students enrolling in teaching programs. What are the board's thoughts on these issues? Well, it's definitely a challenge that uh, not only the state of Indiana uh, faces uh, that we're not seeing as many young people choosing to go into the teaching profession, and it's something that we're going to need a a statewide uh, solution to. Um, and, and as it relates to testing, I think you know Claire uh, has, has hit on this. You know, we're entering a different era right now, where I think a lot of the norms are being tested uh, themselves and challenged. And I think what you've seen in the uh, from the State Board of Education here recently is trying to make sure that we are testing what needs to be tested, but not going above and beyond what needs to be tested. And there's been a lot of discussion at the state board level about um, you know, making sure that the future tests or tests that are currently in development uh, with the Department of Education you know, stay focused on only those things that we have to test uh, and not, get, not expand out too far. Um, both in terms of length, as we saw as a, as a major issue earlier this year, but also into content areas um, where they may not necessarily need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Claire, could you uh, clarify a little bit the, the issue that came up earlier this year when some of the teachers started looking at the, at the, the testing? And actually, the, I know we had, we had a program on this. You, you yes. were on, and we had uh, somebody from the, the State Department, I believe, mm-hmm. was on up the board. And it had to do with the testing window of preparing for the test as well as taking the test. And there were a lot more hours that were available. Does that sound right? Yes. So when we left the Common Core, a test obviously tests the standards that Mm -hmm. the teachers are teaching. Um, So when we left the Common Core and wrote our own, that was in the span of a few months. And because of federal requirements, we had to test those new standards, which was this current school year. So even though last spring was when we adopted our new standards, um, it wasn't until this spring that the test came about. Um, the board, and that was a huge project this year, was getting that test to match and working with our testing vendor to match these new standards. Um, and because of a bunch of very complicated things, there was time added. And I don't, I think the problem came from maybe a communication, communicating that out from the Department of Education to the right people and to teachers. And so teachers were very um, shocked when they got the test. And then it started this this very long <laughs> two weeks of yeah. the legislative, um, the legislature trying to fix that and the governor getting involved. Um, and so then we, the, the board did um, scale it back a little bit. So, I mean, yeah, that, that was a, a big issue that everyone had to deal with. <laughs> right. So, I mean, the, this, these issues of testing are obviously they're, they're among the, you know, they're, they're, the testing is, is maybe the biggest issue for parents and for kids and for people who are watching because it's all about, you know, are the kids meeting the standards of the test and is that the education we want them to have? And I mean, it's a, it's a big issue. I know Steve has followed this very closely from, for many years and we've, uh, he has a guest column going in the paper on Monday about some, just a, a small piece of this issue. But, you know, Steve, in terms of going forward, you know, what do you see in terms of this debate over testing? Um, I think it's a really good question right now. Well, the big, uh, a lot of attention has been uh, generated nationally to the testing opt-out movement, uh, which seems to be pretty strong in certain areas, New York, uh, the Northwest, Pacific Northwest. Um, it's getting a lot of attention. And, and there's, you know, sometimes you'll follow the media and listen to what people say, including uh, education policy people, and you sort of get 
the sense that that the pendulum is about to swing back, that people have decided that we've just been testing way too much and putting too much emphasis on the test. A lot of finger pointing in terms of who's responsible for that, who's to blame for that, whether it's the people that were advocating the testing or people who are implementing it or teachers who are uh, uh, putting too much pressure on their kids to perform well on the test um, and that sort of thing. There, there's a lot of uh, dispute and, and disagreement about that. But but I do think there's, there's this sense that we've kind of uh, – gone beyond what was sustainable in terms of the amount of testing that's being done and the amount of weight that's put on the test and the consequences that are that are put on the test when people aren't necessarily 100% sold on everything that the tests are doing. So I think it's, it's a real interesting question. There are also certainly people that feel like um, these tests are important. It's really important to know whether students are at the very least learning to read and learning to do math. And uh, we're not doing students any favors if we uh, throw out the, uh, the testing uh, regimen altogether mm -hmm. and, and uh, pretend that everything is okay. Well, there's only so much that the uh, state board and at the state level we can do because there's a lot of federal requirements when it comes to testing. Right. So, um, you know, they can't really abolish just, anything. Just or designing anything. that perfect test. Yes. I think every state right now right. is trying to figure out how to do that. We have a phone call, so John is on the phone, and John's from Springville. Go ahead, John. Uh, yeah, just wondering uh, from the panel standpoint, and this goes back to uh, uh, even earlier uh, when some of the education changes were starting, isn't the elephant that people aren't talking about that the uh, political parties want to do away with the teachers' union, really, or ease it out? Who wants to tackle that one? Steve, go ahead. Well, certainly um, you, you can boil everything down to politics and who supports one party and who supports a des another party. And, um, you know, it's possible to construct a, a, an argument that, that in which uh, a, a lot of those policies were uh, intended. Some of the policies were intended to weaken the uh, teachers' union, which was uh, has long been a uh, consistent and effective uh, source of, of uh, financial support support for the Democratic Party, uh, so I think that's what kind of where that where that argument would uh, would make some sense. And the specific uh, bill was a couple years ago, and the the teachers' union lost the ability to bargain anything other than lost the ability to bargain anything pay. other than salaries and and and. Um, um, Specific uh, benefits, mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, also, you know, the um, there have been there's been legislation that uh, limits the ability of the of the teachers' union to uh, uh, collect um, uh, fees from non-members. Um, that happened some time ago, probably in the 90s, I think. But um, you know, so there there have been and the uh, the growth of charter schools uh, was something that the teachers' union opposed. Charter schools in Indiana typically are non-union. I think they're exclusively non-union possibly with the exception of the signature school. I'm not sure. Um, so um, so that that has been seen as a way to uh, kind of chip away at the strength of the union. Mm -hmm. John, does that answer it? All right, I guess John's gone. Okay, so if you have a call, uh, give us, uh, you can call us at these numbers, 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348, or you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Uh, we're talking about public education in the state. If you 
have a question, you can give us a call and we'll talk about that. So Mark Lauder, Director of External Relations for the Indiana State Board of Education. So what are the big issues you see coming up? What's on the, what's on the agenda for the state board for the next couple of meetings? Well, I think one of the biggest things that we face long term uh, will be the A through F grades, calculating those and also establishing the cut scores or the pass-fail scores uh, for uh, this past spring's I-STEP test. Um, you know, obviously there, were, there have been some concerns, obviously, about the length of the test and, and, uh, and things like that. We need to obviously see what those scores are. Um, and then also, uh, obviously, need to make sure that those the grades uh, that are that are partially based on the I-STEP scores, uh, you know, are fair, accurate. Uh, the department uh, actually calculates those, uh, and then it's just sent to the state board for final approval. Uh, but we do need to make sure that they are truly reflective of what's going on in our schools, in our classrooms. Uh, and so I think that will be something that will be coming up uh, on the horizon in the next uh, in the next few months, or between now and the end of the year. Will probably be the biggest uh, challenge that is faced. Okay. Well, I'm going to get back to a couple of those in a minute, but we have another phone call. So, Kevin is on the line from Bloomington. Kevin. Hi. Yeah, I wanted to uh, to comment just on the um, the difficulty with recruiting students into teacher education programs. Uh, I, I teach, and I had my first student teacher this year, and he did great, um, and he's very excited about teaching. But I feel like that that is uh, difficult to find these days, and part of that is just because of all the negative um, uh, image that, that teaching tends to get. It's a job that's uh, you're scrutinized by the public, by parents, by um, government, and the only real potential benefit that you have as far as pay is the chance of merit pay, and that's not a guarantee. So I think that lots of times uh, we need to realize that you really are doing a community service and a civil service when you decide to be a teacher, and there are some outstanding um, benefits or gains that you can have from the job and it's it's the experience you have every day of, of working with and teaching young people and it really is it's a great experience but i think that too oftentimes that gets overshadowed by all the negatives mark you want to address that i mean you want to just react well first off uh, thank you for being a teacher and helping to prepare the uh, the next generation of teachers uh that are that are currently student teaching and and i, w- I would say that to a certain level you probably have to agree with with his sentiment there um you know, many people go into the teaching profession not for the uh, the dream of riches, but for the knowing, obviously, that they're going to help shape future leaders, future generations, and, and help turn our children into you know into great, successful adults. Um, and that will probably never that will never stop. But I think there are things that we can do to uh, as a state, and I think probably even as a nation, there are things that we need to look at along with other states to see what we can do to help encourage, uh, support. Uh, young teachers or who are going through college and are, or or who are already in the profession and uh, and and I think there's also some there are things that too that the that those in the profession need to you know step they they have that pride in their work and they should not be afraid to uh, to, to celebrate that and to take the great pride in the work that they're doing mm-hmm. there have been some uh, efforts in recent years i think past i think past the legislature that would allow other people get in, to get into the teaching profession other than the, the traditional way, which is to go to school, go, get your master's degree or, or whatever, and then go straight through. And now they're giving some credit. Can somebody explain that a little better than I did? Yeah, um, it, it's it currently, um, and it's called REPA. I forget mm-hmm. what it stands for. Um, but it, it allows um, someone who did not go through a traditional pedagogy program 
and maybe they worked in engineering or you know a certain field to teach that subject. So me as a journalist, I could go teach English. Um, uh, it's not crazy widely used, I'm pretty sure. It's it's more of a emergency kind of certificate type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once they have that certification, they are required to complete a program. Um, but that is on the books in Indiana mm-hmm. and was kind of a big deal maybe a year ago yeah, when they the so. state board restructured mm-hmm. REPA. Um, but it's it's not too widely used. But, um, you know, as as a reporter who's been in a lot of classrooms, I do think teaching is a calling. And so I don't think, like Mark said, no one's no one's leaving engineering to go teach high school science, you know, for the money. They're doing it because they care, I think. So, um, yeah. Could could I, uh, Kevin, are are you still there, Kevin? Yes. Um, So one of the things that I've heard is that that an an issue for in terms of teacher preparation is the difficulty of having uh, finding cl- experienced classroom teachers who are willing to uh, have student teachers come and come and take over their classroom given the pressure they're under to raise test scores and so on is, is that something that that you gave any thought to a little bit uh, some of my colleagues discussed that with me and voiced their concerns about that um, but you know my my point of view is I was in that position you know at, at one point so and if somebody wouldn't have given me the opportunity to student teach, then I never would have gotten a job. So I'm happy to, to help students out if I can do that. But there is. That's, that is a legitimate concern. All right, Kevin. Hey, thanks a lot. We appreciate your call. Thank you. We only have about four minutes to go. I want to I want to get into two more topics real quickly. Um, you mentioned the A to F, A through F scores, and and you know where does that stand? What are the possibilities of altering that? I know that. I'm not even sure where it is now. I think now a school could be taken over after four years of F. Is that correct? It was six they, at one point. They just uh, voted to change it uh, in May, the May mm-hmm. meeting. So the, that was the last thing that the old state board did. But Mark just pulled uh, out a piece of paper, though. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, yes. Yeah, so it's one of the last actions of the previous board in May. They approved the new A through F rule. That will not take effect until the 2016-17 school year. So even this year's A through F grades will be calculated on the on the current model and the upcoming academic year's grades will be calculated on the current model. Uh, so this will take effect in 16-17. Um, you know, and then the, the other thing I'll say, the biggest one of the biggest changes in the new model is it, it balances growth. It, it calculates performance and growth equally at 50% for each. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other metrics that are used for, uh, especially once you get into high schools. So you'll also get some uh, end-of-course assessment, passing, graduation rates uh, will be calculated in there. Uh, and when it comes to state turnaround or, or takeover, uh, the new rule will allow the state board to partner earlier as from four years, from six years, uh, but anyone that's currently in the system. So there were some schools that were discussed at this last meeting that are year four and year five. Uh, they of would still be failing. under the of failing. They are mm-hmm. still under the old six-year rule. Okay. Uh, but any any school, maybe a, a D school that went to an F next year, would then be on the four-year cycle before. Uh, and that's really to allow the state board to get in earlier with the local school districts and the local building administrators, get them more support, get them more finances. State board or state department? 
state board would direct uh, the state department would have a role as well but state board would have a, has also has a, a role in that that they can uh, get more resources to those schools uh, earlier rather than waiting a full six years okay so you, you mentioned uh, that growth is part of the uh, the the equation now I mean that was that was always at least you know from my it's, editorial uh, perspective was one of one of the things I always used to hammer on a little bit is a school could continue to grow and get better but might not be enough. It's, it's student a, growth. Student growth. Student growth. Right. So if um, they failed the I-STEP the year before and still failed mm-hmm. but improved dramatically, mm-hmm. um, that's counted in and not just their failing score right. now. Okay. It's a complex uh, formula. Mark and I have been going back and <laughs> forth about this with help from Cynthia Roach, the director of assessment for the state board. I've been trying to understand it, and maybe uh, I'll get to the point where I can understand it enough to try to write about it. But uh, but it's very different. It's going to be very different starting in 2017, uh, and how different that will be for individual schools. I think we haven't seen yet. We don't know yet. Mm-hmm. All right. The other issue I was going to get into. I think I'm going to spare Claire because I was going to ask her to explain the the new funding formula that she did. <laughs> such a, she did. She actually did a terrific job on a story that she did, and you know it it, it has changed. And but I'm not going to put her through that in the next. <laughs> we only have 30 seconds, so I'm not going to let you do that. That would be a challenge. Yeah, yeah I kind of do it. Seconds. All, right. <laughs> All right, but I want to I want to thank our guests because we are about out of time. Steve Hennefeld. Um, who is a blogger about education, Mark Lauder from the uh, the Indiana State Board of Education, and Claire McInerney from State Impact Indiana. For producers Lacey Scarmana and Alexander McCall and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu.